There are sermon notes in your bulletin, and please turn to chapter 2 and pull those sermon notes out. This morning we come to verses 18 to 29 of the book of Revelation. If you haven't been with us throughout this year, know that we have been taking the book of Revelation for the preparation of our communion services to get us into a mindset of evaluation. This morning I've got the undaunting task of taking what I would like to do five weeks of lessons and bring them all into this morning. And so what I want you to understand is as I am going to recap verses 18 to 29 or 18, yeah, 18 to 29, I could take two, three weeks on that alone. There's a lot of information there. It is going to tie into a woman named Jezebel who is recounted in the Old Testament in 1 Kings and 2 Kings, and we can do weeks on that because there's a lot of information on her. I'm going to trust you. I've given you a lot of references, a lot of notes. Please go back and see and look at those notes that are tied to the Old Testament. But this morning, we're just going to take one Sunday because we're getting ready, as we're going to have communion here in a little bit, to get you in the mindset to look at what problem was facing the church at Thyatira and look and say, is it facing the church of Christian Fellowship Church in Hammond, Indiana, in the year 2015. The book of Revelation, recall, is that it begins with an incredible view of who Jesus Christ is. That's what chapter 1 is all about. Then it tells us that it's going to give us a picture of what is. And we believe here at this church that in chapters 2 and 3, there are seven churches that were geographically located in what we understand today is the modern country of Asia, I mean Turkey, in Turkey, in, in Asia, is that these churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, um, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, are churches that have problems, good things going on, but problems that Jesus Christ is making an evaluation of, that are representative of churches throughout all the ages. And we've already looked at the church of Ephesus a couple months ago. Church of Ephesus was a church that had a lot of good going for it, but it had lost its love at first. Its love for God, its love for people. And we went through an evaluation to make sure that we haven't lost our love. We looked at principles that cause you to grow cold in your love. I would encourage you to get the podcast, go back with it, because it is something that God holds totally unacceptable. You are not to be an unloving Christian. Then we looked at the church at Smyrna. The church of Smyrna was a church from verses 8 to 11 of chapter 2 that was being persecuted. And we looked at principles that dealt with someone that stands up in the face of persecution. Those are principles that you need to have. Then we looked at the church at Thyatira. I mean, excuse me, we looked at the church of Pergamum, and the church of Pergamum was a compromising church. And it was a church that was giving in to worldly ways from a perspective of the, similar to the Nicolaitans. They were people who say they were believers, but living any way that they wanted to. And that God condemned them for that. Now we come to a church that's often confused with the sin at Pergamum, the church at Thyatira, but Thyatira, you're going to see, is a church that deals with paganism. And the problem deals primarily with this woman Jezebel, look at verse 18. It says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this, 
I know your deeds and your love and your faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. This is a great commendation. Think about it. You, you go out and you're doing a job. You're living for God. And God says, you're doing better than, than at first. You know, some people, they get saved and they're all committed and they're going hard for God. And after a while, that wanes. This is a church that's doing even more. And so you think, wow, this church, you think everything is great. But Jesus Christ, who we believe is being explained in verse 18, who has the eyes of the flame of fire, his feet are like burnished bronze. He, mean, he sees everything. He's solid, the burnished bronze. He is, he is one who's walking amongst the church. He says this in verse 20, but I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel. Tolerate. You put up with. You let her go. And Jezebel is a name that you would say, wait a second, I know that name from the Old Testament. Jezebel, how could they be letting Jezebel have an influence? Well, look what he says. I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. This woman Jezebel, you say, time out, she's been dead, if I'm thinking of the same one, for over a thousand years, around a thousand years. Almost a thousand years, almost a thousand years. And here we have to say, well, this is very much similar to how God sometimes used types in the Bible. And, and it's fascinating because you have to think, well, why is he so upset? Is he upset because you have a woman teacher? Well, not really. The concept of a prophetess is used earlier, I believe, in the Gospel of Luke. It's not so much that the woman's a prophetess. It's that she's teaching something that is wrong, that is causing the people to commit spiritual immorality. And it's a great concept. If you study the book of Proverbs, the concept of immorality isn't just on the sexual side in a physical realm it's also in what type of teaching you are embracing yourself with and and so you see that he says they commit acts of immorality and things sacrificed to idols and he says in verse 21 i gave her time to repent and she does not want to repent of her immorality and so he's going to put her on a bed of sickness and he's going to bring judgment to her and so those who commit adultery with her verse 22 are thrown into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And what I believe here is what he's saying is, is that these people who are professing to be believers are going to be thrown into the great tribulation that is about to come. And I think there's judgment throughout history for these people, but the reality of it is, is it will be ultimately realized in the end times that there's going to be these, this church that is filled with paganism and these people are not going to be genuine believers, and they're going to go into great tribulation. They're going to go into the tribulation that's going to be revealed by John as we come into chapter 6 through 19 of the book of Revelation. So this is a great, great, great problem for the people at Thyatira. Now, you look at Thyatira, you say, well, I haven't been to Thyatira. What's Thyatira all about? Well, it's interesting. Thyatira is a city that is a little different than Ephesus and, and Pergamum. I mean, it's not a coastal town. It's not a town that is prominent with emperor worship. I mean, they worship the, the false gods there. What this town was noted for is something that might be a little more uh, relatable to us. This was a union town. 
This was a town with unions, but they didn't call them unions. And this isn't a message against unions. This is, this is a message that unions can be manipulated. They were a guild, G-I-L-D town. And what was very prominent in this town was all kinds of different businesses that dealt with organization that if you wanted a job, you worked through the guild, and the guild had a commitment to a different god. Each guild had a god reigning over it, and if you were part of that guild, maybe you were responsible to bring a sacrifice to honor the god who was over your company, your type of business. So if you were in the plumber's guild or you were in the um, carpenter's guild, there was a god that was over this. And it's thought a couple things. That the Apostle Paul wrote a lot about this type of warning of, being, of, of the food sacrifice to these idols. And that it was something that, you know, you, you didn't want to participate in that and you didn't want to eat um, that food. Well, obviously, you could see if all of a sudden you were not going to participate and play the games that these guilds were doing, you probably wouldn't have a job. And it would put a lot of pressure on you, right? And it's thought that in the church that Jezebel, this woman who is personifying the spirit of Jezebel, comes alongside and tells the people, hey, it's okay, you can be this Christian and you can participate in the guild's worship at the same time, okay? So that is part of what the problem is. Well, let's go into the details here. So I, I continue on the read. It says in verse 22, I will throw her on a bed of sickness, those who commit adultery with her in the great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. Verse 24, but I say to you, to the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan. Now, that's interesting. Deep things of Satan, like how Satan operates, how Satan works. Those of you who haven't participated, and the thought was is that, that the people who were were thinking, well, we can go ahead and we can listen to this woman who's personified by the name Jezebel, and we are getting away with it, and it's not really burning us. And, and, and they're participating in paganism, and they're thinking they're okay. But God here is saying, no, I don't want you to participate in it. And for those who recognize it and don't participate, I'm commending you. And so he says, you have not known, verse 24, the deep things of Satan as they call him. I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds at the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces. And I, I, as I've also reasoned authority from my father, I will give him a, the morning star. Now listen, all of this is dealing with authority. Now this is so interesting because if the issue here is we have no power. We have no authority in our community. We're getting pushed around. God is saying, you honor me. In the end, you win. You get authority. So there, there's a tie-in with the reward. And so verse 29, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is how we recognize the universality through churches throughout all the ages. Every church has to recognize and identify, is this the problem? Now, 
If we were to do a detailed study of Jezebel, you would see that she is somebody that isn't so much as dealing with compromise and like, per, uh, like um, Pergamon was, but she's really going into paganism. And paganism is a very, uh, it's a harsh term, it's a vile term when we think of that, 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 that as Christians. But I've been noticing in our culture that paganism is a big joke. I'll watch movies, I'll watch TV shows where people will talk about pagans and as if paganism is just some type, of, some type of way to have a comedy. But we must remember paganism is something that is incredibly vile from God's perspective. And it's something that touches us in so many ways. It touches us in simple ways with fortune cookies, horoscopes, astrological signs. And yes, so much with our big holidays, Christmas and Easter. And, and I, I'm not going to bash in the sense I don't want you to participate in anything with Christmas and Easter. But the reality of it is you'll, you have to see. You have to recognize that this is something that has come into our culture. And there's the old joke about two women are downtown at Christmas time. They're looking at the store windows and they're so thankful, are so overwhelmed by the beauty of all the decorations. Beautiful bows, beautiful wraps, beautiful you know, instruments that are on display that are belting out Christmas tunes and, in, in, the, in the storefront windows. And then all of a sudden they come to one of the store windows that's been decorated by a local church. And it's a manger and it's not as shiny and bright as the other ones. And in the back corner of the display there's a cross foretelling of what the little manger scene is leading to. And one of the women says to the other one, Can, can, you, can you believe that church trying to push themselves into, into this whole Christmas thing? You know, and, and that's to me the essence of like paganism. They, they've, they've taken over our holidays, right? Whether it's Christmas or whether it's Easter. So look at your sermon. Notes. I have no fill in the blanks today because I really want, just want to keep moving through. What is the recap of Thyatira and its sin? Well, it's being influenced by Jezebel. And, and Jezebel is the name given to a false teacher influencing the church. Like I said, it's probably a pseudo name for an actual person that people would understand, oh, Jezebel, we know who she is. Now today, and just even back then, Jezebel had become so evil, known as for her evil, that nobody names their name, their, their little daughter, Jezebel. Nobody names like, their kid today, Judas. Nobody names their kid, little boy, Adolf, because certain names get associated with the evil that that person is, that person is associated with. Well, Jezebel, if you don't know, was the daughter of a Phoenician king. Phoenicia, where's Phoenicia? It was like, it was north of Israel, sort of on the coast. And, and her father was named Ethbaal, which means Baal is alive. Baal, you hear all the time in the Old Testament, is a, is a name of a false god. But it's interesting because it means Lord. They recognized their god was, was a lord, an authority. And it was a problem often for the Jewish people that they incorporated Baal worship into their worship. And, and Jezebel came from a community where the major cities were Tyre and Sidon, and she marries King Ahab in about the year 874 B.C. So remember, John is writing this in the year about 90-95, so basically almost 900 years have passed since her time. And so we believe she's long since off, off the scene. She's dead. But she's married King Ahab. Ahab, who was the king of the northern part of Israel. I mean, when Israel divided, divides um, after it's split 
to Judah in Israel, she marries a king who is part of the northern tribes, and that group of tribes, those ten tribes, went by the name Israel. And so he marries her for political reasons. And it's a big mistake, because she decides that over time she is going to bring in the worship of Baal into Israel. And you say to yourself, why in the world, if people knew the story of like Moses and all the incredible blessings like with Joshua and all the other stories like of Ruth, why would the Jewish people incorporate Baal worship into their worship? Practically, why would you do that? And the answer is this. Because what happens is when you worship God and he doesn't give you what you want on your timetable, there's got to be another solution. I'm not getting the kid that I want. I'm not getting the job that I want. I'm not getting this what I want. I've been praying to God and God's not coming through for me. So the Jews, you say, well, the crops aren't coming. So there's got to be another solution. You identify a problem in your life and God you know, God says pray, and sometimes the answer doesn't come, right? And so I'm praying, I'm praying, and the answer doesn't come. So maybe if I do some of these superstitious practices, I'll get the answer I want. So Baal worship is brought in, let alone people sin for not wanting to honor God and be obedient. That's in there too. So this is a recap of the sin. Look at point B, um, 2A now. You're to stay away from paganism. Now, if I had time, we would go back and we would study the history and what, what Jezebel brought in. And I brought just some references here of passages that tied to her and some others. These sins, I've got eight sins that paganism brought in that they're all throughout the Old Testament. I've tried to just give you references that are tied primarily to Jezebel. So that if we would have done a study on Jezebel, you'd say, oh, th these are things that she's brought in. So let's quickly go through these. First of all, here's the first sin, is that if you were to go back and you look at the Old Testament, you would see that she brought in astrology and fortune-telling. And, and when we talk about paganism, astrology is using the stars to tell the future and to determine your life course. That's what the Isaiah passage refers to. This is, and we know today it's very big. I mean, I get up every day, read the newspaper, I go through one section. Guess what? It's filled with horoscopes. Some of you are on the internet. Your internet webpage gives you a daily horoscope. I laugh at it. Okay? It's the idea that if you can use the stars, you can manipulate the future. You can manipulate and understand what the future is. Fortune telling. It's dealing with someone tells you the future and you can adjust your life today. There are stores all over our community that are doing this today. This isn't just ancient Jezebel stuff. What you need to identify is any way this is touching your life and repent. Astrology is wrong. Somebody needs to be clear. It is wrong. Fortune telling is a sin. Second, witchcraft. If you look at Jezebel, this passage, I believe it's in 2 Kings 9.22, talks about the witchcraft she brought in. You think, witchcraft, that's so ancient. We're, I'm constantly being, uh, hear stories about how evil America was at the Salem witch trials. Well, I can't tell you exactly everything that happened because I wasn't there at the Salem witch trials, but I can tell you that witchcraft is evil and is still prevalent today. We have met people 
Some of you have people in your families. You need to understand there are people that practice witchcraft today. There are books like Harry Potter, Wizard of Oz, that want to talk about good witches and bad witches. I've heard that, that Harry Potter, I'm not saying you can't read Harry Potter, but I want you to understand is that that book Harry Potter has a lot of spells that are supposed to be genuine spells. One of the things that always shocks me in the Bible is, is that how God, he doesn't have us focus on witchcraft, but there's always sometimes this in, these incidences where witchcraft works. And it's a scary thing how that demonic practice works. And, and, and that it really has some realism to it. God has great judgment against witchcraft and spells. And I put on their drug use because it's interesting. In the book of Galatians chapter 5, one of the aspects of witchcraft is that it's tied into drug use. Third, superstitious practices. In 1 Kings chapter 18, the, when the... Um, Prophets of Baal are trying to, to, to destroy Elijah. They cut themselves, thinking that if they cut themselves, they do something superstitiously, their God will honor them. We live in a world that, if you want to magnify this concept of superstitious practices, it is all over. You'll hear people wanting good luck with a throw salt over their shoulder. They'll, they'll make sure the way they walk through certain poles or around poles is blessed. How many of you saw Wednesday's newspaper there's this little hockey game going on called the Stanley Cup Playoffs, and, and our Chicago Blackhawks are in it. Well, what was the article on Wednesday's newspaper? All the superstitious practices that people are doing to bring about victory for the Blackhawks. And on the cover of the front page of our newspaper was a little boy who got a, they call it a sweater, not a jersey, uh, a, 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 a Blackhawks sweater in 2013 and he's avowed to not wash it because i think the blackhawks won in 2013 and he said i'm never gonna wash this until the blackhawks win again and i'm thinking man you must think <laughs> and that's the only thing that you brought about but listen challenge yourself what superstitious practices do you not like step on cracks so you don't break your mother's back i mean superstitious practices i've known sadly girls and people that have cut themselves. Fourth, invoking dead people to get seances. And here is a passage, I, I couldn't directly find one link where Jezebel was doing it, but it comes up in 1 Samuel 28. And this is just something that God disdains. We know that this was part of the Baal worship. So I, I just gave you this. And today you can go to some of these, these tarot card readers or these people who do these seances that are advertising themselves as people that can invoke the dead. I mean, and it's not like you read about this and this is, these are ancient practices. Just leave our church this morning and drive down the road and you go past Burger King on Calumet Avenue and there's a brand new tarot card store. <laughs> it's crazy. We must recognize that invoking the dead is wrong. Fifth. Invoking the mother of God is wrong. What do you mean, the mother of God? One of the practices that Jezebel brought in was the worship of the Asherah, the Asherah and the Asherah poles. Asherah was a woman goddess who was believed to give birth to a male child. You say, wait a second, that sounds like Jesus. Yes, this is something that runs throughout the Old Testament. 
And I gave you the Ezekiel 8 passage on your notes there because the Jewish women were crying for, for Tammuz, in essence, and, and, and that whole, this whole concept of this from a, another false religious system. And today we see this. We see where I pick up the newspaper and there's a service all for Mary today because we have to honor Mary as the mother of God. And this is so much paganism in our world today. And God hates it. Number six, ecstatic language. In 1 Kings 18, the, the prophets of Baal go into some ecstatic language. Today, people think, well, this is the gift of tongues. It's not. The gift of tongues was a, a gift where people got no languages so they could communicate the gospel. Not a service where you come in and everyone's screaming, blah, 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 ga, 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 you know, and all this stuff goes on and thinking that I'm communicating to God and God's communicating to me through ecstatic language. That's not the gift of tongues. And, and we have people that are following paganism. That's what paganism is, ecstatic language that is just mumble-jumble. 1 Corinthians 14 warns against this. People will come into the service and not know what you're doing. They'll think you're just absolutely crazy people. And like you said, we can just have a long and detailed study just on that. Number seven, use of idols. In 1 Kings 16, um, it talks about the fact that Jezebel brought in the idols, the statues, the ashram poles, and that people would worship these. And I didn't even bring up the Isaiah passages where God talks about the fact that somebody takes a tree of wood, I mean, a, 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 a tree, and, and, and takes the wood and car, cuts it in half, carves an idol out of it, throws the other half into the fire so they can eat, eat their food, and the other part where they made an idol, they bow down to it and they worship it. God disdains idol worship. Yet we have a whole group of people who call themselves Christians who have little medallions and little statues. And I wonder, what are you worshiping? Do you even like light candles ever and say, I hope this candle brings me blessing? You don't worship the candle. God looks at this today, this concept of idol worship, and he disdains it. Think about the reality of why in the world would God end the book of 1 John, just jot this down, the very last line, little children, beware of what? Idols. Idols. And then lastly, sexual sins. And today, we, we would say, we don't have this so much prevalent in America, at least from what I can see, we, we don't participate in this. But 1 Kings chapter 14 talks about how the male prostitutes were brought about to bring about some type of blessing. And today, I can tell you that when I was in California, my pastor went over to India, and he was shown where there were these sexual practices People doing bizarre things, thinking that they were getting blessings from God. And they were incorporated into Christianity. And that was John MacArthur as he went over and he talked to mother, oh, the nun who claimed to be a mother, called, the nun called Teresa. Just, we have to understand that all of this stuff is paganism. And, and there are people who think that they can get involved in sexual practices and these sexual practices will bring about blessings. So you go back and you study all of this. This is, this is like the tip of the mountain, the iceberg or whatever, of all the, all the paganistic practices. And if you look down here, you, 
on your third point, it says fear paganism, for besides the above, inclo includes hatred of people. Not only are all these things sin, one through eight of, of, of the, paganism, the paganism list, but what it does is it causes, if you hold to one God, you're going to hate the other. And Jezebel was somebody who hated, the pro who hated God's prophets, who hated Elijah. And she vowed to kill him. And I wish I could do a whole study on the spirit of Jezebel because it's fascinating how Elijah stood up to all the prophets of Baal. I think it was like 450 prophets of Baal. But one woman says, I'm going to kill you, and he runs. And, and there's a great, interesting study in that. But bottom line is, it's very clear. You, you hold to paganism, you hate God. Second, you covet. And it's not... What happens is, is you, people... It's very evident that because you're holding to the world, you're going to want things in the world. And one of the most famous stories of Jezebel and her husband Ahab is how they kill a man named Naboth and his family so that they could take his, they could take his, his field. And that's what the next point is. It leads to killing and lying. And, and we know that when you start going the ways of the world, you will murder. And God says in 1 John chapter 3, no one who's a believer is someone who kills. And yet, we know there are people who profess to be Christians and they validate their murder for religious purposes. And lastly, it leads to doctrinal confusion. And you study how people were confused in the Old Testament. And as I said before, God calls it spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery. And so, you look, go back to... <laughs> Chapter 2, Revelation, and he says this, I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel. They would have identified, they would have known, oh, we know who this is. We know that this woman had a great influence in our church. We know that she was telling people things that, that were allowing them to follow in to bring in some of this paganism. And God says, I hate this. And so as we prepare for communion today, I don't want you to start thinking, well, you know, this is 2,000 years ago. This is 3,000 years ago with Jezebel. It has nothing to do with me today. Ask yourself honestly, what aspects of astrology and fortune-telling do you participate in? Do you ever even go get a Chinese fortune cookie and think that it has any relation to you? Do you worry about your astrological sign? I'm telling you today, repent. Do you worry about witchcraft and spells? Do you worry about superstitious practices? Do you look at seances? Boy, it'd be, you know, yesterday, big thing, triple crown. Those of you who are in the sports, like me, I was just absolutely appalled. They asked the trainer, this is during one of the greatest sporting events, like, what did, how was your day going? You know, we know that it was a very special day for you because, you know, you wish that your parents were here. And he goes, that's okay, because I walked and talked to my parents all day. That, that was the big thing on NBC News yesterday. I'm thinking invoking the dead you're talking to the dead all day let me tell you hebrews chapter 9 says once you're dead that's it they're not talking back to you you might have been talking to somebody mr bob baffert but you weren't talking to the dead and people we've got to understand you don't talk to the dead today invoking the mother of god praying the saints those are despicable concepts the whole thing breaks off of breaking talking to the mother of god Ecstatic languages, use of idols, any sexual perversions. And so this is what I want us to do today. We have a few moments here as we're ready for communion.
Let us take time now to reflect upon our lives because God wants us holy. Let's pray. Our Father, you've told us that through your word, through the walking through of the church of Jesus Christ, that you don't want the practices of Jezebel played by your church. I pray, God, that we would not think of paganism as some distant practice, nor should we think of paganism as some, 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 something that is so far removed that it has no relation to us. I pray, Lord, that as we recognize we're in a culture that is constantly promoting paganism, that there would be within us an evaluation where we would, I, I see it in our lives, and we would repent today. Help our church be pure of paganism. Because, God, whether it's the pastor, the elders, the deacons, or our Sunday school teachers, to the person who just comes and fills up the pew, Lord, it is something that you want no taint of amongst us. May there be an honest evaluation of our lives as we now prepare for communion. Amen.